0: Morning, church. Good morning. Yeah, like, like Chad just said, today is a good day. Our text today is from Romans chapter eight, verses thirty-one through thirty-nine. So, please turn with me in your Bibles, if you have one. Um, if you are using, if you didn't bring one, or you're using one of the blue ones that are under the seats here, it's going to be found on page. 944. So as I'm getting started, please open up your Bibles and turn there. I am grateful for the opportunity to look again with you today and the Word of God. Everything that we believe, everything that we know, and everything that we do should be measured up against what the Word of God says. In Matthew 22, 36 through 40, a lawyer asks Jesus, Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. This verse gives us a command to love God and then to love our neighbor. All the things that we can study about God are important to study But this verse does not tell us that the greatest command is to have a deep and true understanding of the things of God. And it does not tell us that we are called to perform good works for God. These things may be true, but the heart of the matter is love. 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So what's love got to do with it? Everything. We know that we have a problem here, though when it comes to this need to love because we are born as enemies of God and we will not naturally love him. Even as Christians, we recognize and sing songs about how our love can often be cold. John 1 or 1 John 4, 7 through 10 says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this is love, is the love of God, that he was made manifest among us, that God sent his son, his only son, into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If we are going to love God, And if we are going to love our neighbor, then we must see God rightly. We must see that God is love. And it is not that we love God and we can pat ourselves on the back for loving God so well, but that he loves us and sent his son so that we might live through him, be born again, and then love God and others as a response. Only then will we fulfill the great commandments to love God and others. And only then will any of the actions that we do here on earth have any true good in them. It all hinges on this the love of God. I'm going to say that a lot today. This sermon series, where many of the men have been asked to come up and speak and preach, is called The Final Word. And so my final word is the same as my first what I would want to be the first word to be for any brand new member here at RBC, the first word that anyone hears about who God is. We have a few new members here today. And so please hear this word, whether you're new or old. That word is, God loves you. Let's read Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I'm not sure, or I'm sure that most of you have probably heard and read this passage many times. It's a good one. And it's often quoted. So today we're going to look closely at it and try to pull out seven truths about the love of God. I pray that these truths will give you peace in your life and hope and courage and strength and above all else, a deeper love for our God. So as we get started, we have to note that this text starts with, what then shall we say to these things? What are the these things that Paul is talking about here? This portion of Romans is a response to whatever he said before. These things is pointing back to an earlier part in Romans. In this letter, Paul is helping the church in Rome to consider how sin and righteousness work together in the old covenant and in the new covenant of grace and where Jesus and the Holy Spirit fit into it all. Let's consider Paul's summary in Romans 7 and 8 and ask yourself as I go through these things, these things, do you believe these things? One, the law is good. Romans seven seven says, "What then shall we say that the law is sin?" By no means. And seven twelve says, "So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good." Do you believe God gave us the law, and keeping the law is good? The second of these things, people. Or bad. Romans 7, 7. "If If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. We know that we are bad because we cannot keep the law. We sin. We are sinners. Point three. Jesus saves us from sin. Romans 7, 24 and 25 says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 8, 1 then declares, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit is our seal, number four. Paul explains why there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus in the very next verse. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Those who are in Christ Jesus are given the Holy Spirit and are adopted as children of God. So number five, as children of God, we are secure. Romans 8.26 says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And 8.29.30 tells us, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, that in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So do you believe God's children through the gospel of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit will be held fast to glory? These things are true. Do you believe them? But as good as these things are and as true as they are, they are not the climax of the story. The climax of the story is God's love for us found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So now let's turn directly to our passage with these things in mind and let's consider God's love. The first thing that we see here, my first point, is that the love of God is for us. Look at verse 31. It says, If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one. And we will look at why that is here in a moment. But we need to also be careful to understand who the us is is in this verse if god is for us it is possible to think that you are included in the us when in fact you are not and being included in this group makes the difference as to whether or not god is for you or not so remember this when you are studying the bible and trying to figure out its meaning context is king For our text today, we can best understand who Paul is referring to in the us by making sure we know who he is writing to. Romans 1, 7, Paul opens the letter with, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Paul is writing to those who are loved by God. This is a connection of being loved by God, and it's a good confirmation that we're on the right path today and not getting mixed up along the way. But Paul also describes the people he is writing to as people who were called to be saints. A saint is a person who has put their faith in Jesus. We see this in Ephesians 1:1. 1, 1. It says, "To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful to Christ Jesus." We can also see who the us is by reading a little bit further into Romans 8:33, where it says, "Who shall bring any charge against God's elect and we can also note that the us that Paul is writing to includes everyone everyone who has put their faith in Jesus and not just that specific church in Rome notice that he says us and not you as if he's writing to just that church this is important for us today because Paul was not in Rome when he wrote this but he includes himself as one that is loved by God So we can confidently say that the us in these verses are Christians, the elect saints that are loved by God. If you are a Christian with us today, then you are included in the us's of this verse, and these truths are for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? This is a rhetorical question. The answer is that no one and no thing can be against us. I'm going to say that a few times as well, too. But why? Why is God for us? Well, it is because of his covenant love. God is for us because he has chosen us and has made a covenant with us. A covenant is when two parties make binding promises to each other for the common good. In Christ, the covenant that we have with God is one of grace, one that is dependent on the works of Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit in us. It is not a covenant based on our promises to God, which we, we freely give, or our ability to muster up the strength to fulfill those promises, which we try to fulfill. It's not on those, though. This covenant is based on God and who He is. For this covenant to fail, God would have to fail. And because God never fails, his covenant with us will never fail. God will be unwaveringly and forever for us. The second thing, second point I want you to see is that the love of God is giving. Verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things. Here we see that God gives us two things and we can put them into two categories. He gives us His Son and He gives us all things. Which of these two categories is the greater thing to be given? The Son or all things? To answer this, consider the logic that's being used in this verse. It's similar to the logic of, I just ran a marathon of course I can walk out and get the mail. Or I just spent $200 getting my hair done. Of course I'm going to spend $75 on hair products. Just saying greater and lesser things. <laughs> Think about this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, the greater thing. How will he not with us, with him also give us all things, the lesser things? We can know that the Father giving up the Son was a greater thing because of who the Son is and what it meant that he gave him up. God is the Trinity, meaning that he is three in one. The Redeemer statement of faith puts it this way. In the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, equal in every divine perfection and executing distinct and harmonious offices in the great work of redemption. Understanding this is essential Christian doctrine that helps us grasp the weightiness of the gift of the Son in this text. The Son is perfect and equal with the Father and the Spirit. And they are in perfect harmony. Many times the Father declares, "'This is my Son,' in whom I am well pleased. Their relationship is eternal. Their relationship is described as familial. Their relationship is pleasing, and their relationship is completely fulfilling. Parents, here's a scenario for you. Let's say you're driving down a quiet road in another country with your family, and all of a sudden you come across a roadblock with bandits that surround your car. They're pointing guns at you and demanding that you choose to do one of two things. You can either give them the car with everything in it and leave on foot with your family, or you can give them your family and drive away. What would you give them? What is the greater thing? I'm not going to offer the same scenario to the children in this here. But the love of God that we have for our children is or should be greater than any of the other things this world has to offer and that is a sinful relationship with a sinful parent and their sinful child how much more would the perfect relationship be between a holy father and his holy son be now compare that relationship to the all things in this verse the answer is clear He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? He gave us his son. What greater gift is there than that? God gave us his son. We are obviously going to have everything else too. What is even more? God did not just give his son. Look at what the verse says. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. God didn't just send Jesus down to earth to hang out with us and that we can associate with him. Jesus came down to die and to save people from their sins. There are many great verses in Romans that give a clear way to think about how Jesus saves people. And kids, if you have a Bible or if you have something to write with, I encourage you now to grab a pen, get ready to write down these four verses from Romans, I would encourage you to write them down. Later today, if you get a chance, look them up in a Bible, underline them, highlight them, think about them. In these verses, you will find a very clear explanation of the gospel. So, these are the four verses. Write these down. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This means that every single person has sinned. I have sinned, you have sinned, and our sin has caused us to fall short of the glory of God. Next verse. Romans 6, 23. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Everyone has sinned. And this verse says that everyone who has sinned is going to die. That means eternity away from God in hell. That is a terrifying thing and that is what we all deserve. Sin is a big deal. Next verse, Romans 5.8. It says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God the Father gave up His Son, sent His Son from heaven to earth for us. Jesus is the Son of God. He lived a sinless life, and He took our sins upon Himself. So Jesus took our sins on Him, and the wages of sin is death. And God did not spare His own Son, but He gave Him up. The wrath of God the Father... The punishment for sin was given to Jesus instead of us. And Jesus died. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God that we can now receive is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The verse doesn't stop with the problem that we could not solve. It gives us the solution that we could not provide. Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, showing that he has defeated both sin and death. So there are two sides, the side of sin and death and the side of salvation and eternal life. How do you know which side you are landing on? Final verse to write down today. Romans 10:9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Today, two of our girls confessed with their mouth what they believe in their hearts, that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. And as a church, we stood with them and said, praise God. Do you believe that God did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all? Do you believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. Do not delay. Call out to God for salvation and be saved. Come and speak with me or any of our elders or anyone you've seen here today. Kids, talk with your parents. There is nothing, nothing we desire more for your life than for you to be secure in the love of God. Perhaps you are struggling with this belief Or you have more questions. Again, I would say, even then, do not delay. Call out to God for clarity. Come, again, speak to me. Talk to any of our elders or anyone that you've seen here today. Parents, talk to your kids. Kids, talk to your parents. We would love to walk beside you in life and answer any questions you have. We desire to pray for you in this. Consider this. If God, who perfectly loved his son, his perfect son, if God was willing to give up his son for you, what does that tell you about God's love for you? It's great. It's perfect. It's satisfying. And if God loves you so much that he gave up his son in order to save you, he will graciously give you all the lesser things. So my third point for today, the love of God is gracious. Verse 32 says again, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? One good way to define grace is undeserved favor. You get something for nothing. In Romans 8.32, God graciously gives his son. What did we have to do to deserve it? Nothing. It was by grace alone. And along with the Son, we also get the smaller gift of all things. What did we have to do to deserve all of these things? Nothing. The love of God is gracious. What do you get? Salvation. What does it cost? Nothing. What do you get? A loving relationship with God. What do you have to do to earn it? Nothing. What do you get? The Holy Spirit living inside you. What do you have to pay in return? Nothing. What do you get? A new heart of flesh with new loves and new convictions. And what did you do to deserve it? Nothing. It is all by grace and grace alone. Romans 11:5 and 6 tells us our salvation is by grace. And if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, Grace would no longer be grace. Do not wait to try to get yourself right before God or to do anything to earn your salvation. There are no penance that you can pay to cover your sins. There is no standard you have to meet before you are ready to be received. It is only by the blood of Christ, freely poured out for us, that our sins are forgiven. Rest in that and worship in this beautiful truth, the love of God is gracious. Number four: the love of God is powerful. Romans 8 verse 33 says, "Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Continue in verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who is indeed? Who indeed is interceding for us? And verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So, tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? This section is full of rhetorical questions. And the answer to them all is no, they cannot. God's love is more powerful than all these things. No one shall bring any charge against God's elect. No one is able to condemn those who are covered by the love of God. The free grace that is given through the blood of Jesus Christ, poured out on the cross for our sins, is powerful and effective. It is unstoppable. What's more, Jesus didn't just die and pour out on his blood. He also rose from the dead, displaying his power over sin and his power over death. What's even more? Jesus ascended into heaven and now sits in power at the right hand of God on his throne. What's more? Jesus is interceding with God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth, for us. You may ask, why did Jesus go away? Wouldn't it have been better if after he rose from the dead he would have stayed here on earth? And I admit, it would be pretty cool if we could go and meet Jesus living eternally here on earth, have a cup of coffee with him or something. But even so, it is actually better that Jesus ascended into heaven. Caleb spoke on this last week, and I encourage you to go to our Redeemer website, check out that message. But for now, I'm going to give you a few reasons why it is better that Jesus ascended into heaven. One is that we now get the Holy Spirit. That's the main one. In John sixteen seven, Jesus tells his disciples, "It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him." In Ephesians 1, 13, 14 says, "When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed." With the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is who draws us back to God again and again and again. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. All people are prone to wander. It is the Holy Spirit that makes you feel it. That causes you to say, Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. The Holy Spirit causes us to hunger and thirst for God. The Holy Spirit causes us to see God and God's love for us rightly and to love him in return for who he is. The Holy Spirit convicts us and causes us to repent. How important is this Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit didn't come, We would not have the seal that guarantees our inheritance. But now, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. He's interceding for us there. Every time we sin, Jesus is beside the Father with his nail-pierced hand saying, it's covered, they're mine. See, the Holy Spirit has sealed them. It's not as if the Father is looking down on us, just waiting for a moment to smite us. It was the will of the Father to send his Son To satisfy the penalty of sin and it was the will to seal us with the holy spirit the father loves us and loves that the son died for our sins that we may be called brothers and sisters in christ and share in the love of god and now the full power of the trinity can be seen working for our salvation the father the son and the Holy Spirit are all actively, powerfully, and lovingly involved and sovereign in our salvation. If God is for us, who can stand against us? Without the love of God, our passage makes it clear that there are things that can be against us. We would have no shelter in the storm, no rod and staff to comfort us, no loving hand to guide. What powers are prepared to tempt taint and finally destroy all those who the love of god is not for and what assured safety we have from such powers as we in faith rest in this love that is for us so we've talked about how the love of god is for us it's giving it is gracious and it is powerful let's now consider that the love of god is effective Look at verses 35 through 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Sometimes I read these verses and I wish they said, the love of God shall separate us from tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and the sword. If the love of God is so powerful and gracious, and if it is for us, then why doesn't it just say that these things can go away? No one likes these things. Can't they just go away? If you've been a Christian for more than five seconds, you may have noticed that all the problems in your life have not just disappeared, and we should not expect them to. Verse 36 confirms this when it says, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It does not say that these things will not try to separate us from the love of God, just the opposite. It implies that we will have these things in our lives. So why do we have to go through these things if Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father in power, interceding for us, out of love, and the Spirit is alive in us and active in us now? I'd like to suggest a few reasons why. One, these troubles cause us to make sure we desire God and not just the things that God can give us. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul Longs after you, not clothing, not food, not shelter, not the other things. My soul longs after you. Two, God uses these hard things in our lives for our sanctification. James 1, 2, and 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, these trials, produce steadfastness. And let steadfastness, steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's for our sanctification. Three, these hard things remind us that it is, this world is not our final destination and causes us to long for the return of Christ, for our reunion with him. With every breath, I love to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home. This is not our destination. He has said that he will, and, and day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. We look forward to that day. We look forward to that joy. Another reason, it serves as a witness to a hopeless world whose troubles do not benefit them as ours do. Like Paul and Silas singing in prison, which It's probably a bigger trial than most of us have had. They're in prison for the gospel. They're singing just like that. Our suffering here and now is a witness, is a hope to the lost world. And number five, it magnifies that the love of God is greater than all these things. It brings glory to the power of the love of God found in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Do not lose hope. No matter how dark Or hard things may seem. No matter how big the troubles are, no matter how persistent they are, whether it's sins you have committed or troubles you are facing from the outside, God's love is greater than all these things. Furthermore, we do not just survive the battles and difficulties of life. Verse 37 says. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is a verse that people love to hang on their walls. They'll get a tattoo of it, or they'll write songs about it. We are more than conquerors. But what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? We can see how with the love of God, we conquer over these things, but how are we more than that? Answer. We are more than surviving the trials by the will of the Father, the intercession of the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit. All of these things are used for our good. You may not be able to see it in the moment, but as you walk through your life, the troubles of life will actually be used for your good. What is the good that they are used for? Well, If you're thinking that the good that is going to be used for is to give you a lot of money or that you're not going to have any more homework or that all your health problems will go away or for everyone to like you and treat you like a princess, then you are setting your eyes on the things of the world. Look higher for the good in your life. God has given himself to you. He has brought you into a right loving relationship with him by his love. And he's using all the troubles of this world to keep you in his love. I'm on the search and rescue team at work, and we have to find ourselves having to walk large sections of woods looking for lost people or pieces of evidence. And it's easy to get mixed up. And if you do, it can be the difference between finding that person or not. In those situations, when I want to walk, in a straight line to cover my area, I pick a spot that is far away and I start walking towards it. I keep my eye on that spot and I keep walking toward it. Similarly, when you want to walk the straight and narrow Christian life, but the bumps of life keep shoving you around, here is what you do. Keep your eyes on the love of God shown through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Keep praying. And keep moving. As you do, not only will Christ be your guiding light, your point far off, but He will be with you in every step you take along the way, every tribulation and distress and persecution and need and danger. Even more, He will direct your paths and cause every challenge of life that you wobble through to perfectly draw you closer to Him. So that step by weary step, when life is over and you've gone through all the mountains of temptations and stumbling blocks, and we stand anew in joy and glory with Christ, and we look back on our lives, we will see the perfectly straight line of the Holy Spirit pointing us directly to God. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. Not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Set your sights higher and trust the loving almighty God that he is not just keeping you through the trials, but he is using the trials in your life for your good. Christian today, set your eyes on the love of God. Pray for help and look to Christ. Number six, the love of God is inseparable. Look at verses 37 and 38. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor heights nor depths nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. These verses are why I love to sing, He will hold me fast. I see its truth laid here. Death cannot separate us from the love of God. And life cannot separate us from the love of God. First Corinthians 15:50 50 through 58 says, "'Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, "'nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. "'Behold, I tell you a mystery. "'We shall not all sleep, "'but we shall all be changed in a moment, "'in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. "'For the trumpet will sound, "'and the dead will be raised imperishable, "'and we shall be changed.'" For this perishable body body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God is inseparable, and even death does not stop it. Because death is not the end of us. We will be changed, and death will have no sting for those who are in Christ Jesus. You may say, well, yeah, I'll have a new body, and I won't sin. So not being separated from the love of God in that new body should be pretty easy. But it is just as true in the here and now. If you are in the love of God, then there is nothing you can do in your presence body that can separate you from the love of God. The love of God is not conditionable upon the works or whether or not you have a new body or not. It is conditional on the love of God shown in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And nothing in your death nor your life can separate us from the love of God. Angels and rulers... There is no power, spiritual or worldly, that can separate you from the love of God. God's love is over all powers on earth and all powers in heaven. This includes earthly governments and powers of worldly laws and politics. And God's love is all over all spiritual powers, including Satan and all demons. These are all things created that are under the control of God keep your eyes on Christ. Does that mean that we can no longer be spiritually attacked? No, it does not. But God will give you all you need as you seek first the kingdom of God. Even in these attacks, you are more than conquerors. Does this mean that the government of our lands is not going to affect us? No, it's likely that we will see opposition from all levels of our government. But... They cannot separate us from the love of God. Things present and things to come. God's love covers the span of time. It is everlasting. If he has you, he has you. There is no sin so great that Jesus' blood is not greater. This covers from the moment you are given new life to the end of your life and then on into eternity. You will forever be loved by God called a child of God. And a lifetime of trials and difficulties will only better prepare you for the joy of eternity with God. Nor powers, nor heights, nor depth. Paul is working here to be all-inclusive in this list of things that cannot separate us from the love of God. You've probably already caught that by now. He starts at the personal level of your life and your death. And then he goes on to spiritual forces and powers. And then he goes to... Uh, The span of time. God's love is everlasting. So when it says powers, nor heights, nor depths, start using your imagination here. Think of any power. Think of any obstacle that's high. Think of any pit that's deep. It will not work. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And he ends here with, nor anything else in all creation. This covers everything that you were not even able to imagine. Nothing that you know about, nothing in the space-time continuum, and nothing that you can imagine. Even if you can imagine that there may be something that you cannot imagine, nothing, nothing from a multiverse or alternate dimension or outer space, there are no hypothetical options where something exists that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 39 says nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And in this verse, nothing means every single nothing. And that brings us to our final point today, the point that brings it all together. The love of God is in Christ Jesus. It is not in Muhammad. It is not in Joseph Smith. The love of God is not in Buddha or any lowercase God or any other adventure you can seek in this world. The love of God is in Christ Jesus alone, and it is for us. In Christ Jesus, it is giving and gracious and powerful and effective. In Christ alone, the love of God is inseparable and everlasting. When we are walking our path of life, what do we keep our eyes on? We keep them on Jesus. Turn your eyes to Jesus ever and always. Follow Jesus. In him you will find the giving, gracious, powerful, effective, inseparable love of God poured out on us and working for us. So as we go from here today and soon as we disperse and no longer gather as Redeemer Baptist Church, I want to encourage you to keep your eyes on Christ and the love of God and the glory of the gospel. Jesus is the narrow gate to the love of God. Let's pray.